Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Welcome to Mountain Meister. I'm Russell Wilcox. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Shank. Today on the show, we have Doug Stout. Doug is an international polar guide, ski mountaineering guide, expedition leader, environmentalist, humanitarian, motivational speaker, educator, and father. Doug has skied to both the North and South Poles more than anyone on the planet. In doing that, he also holds the world speed record from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole, which is 450 miles in 18 days. If that wasn't enough, he's climbed five of the highest peaks on five different continents. Doug runs Ice Axe Expeditions, which takes clients to the most remote places in the world. To date, he's raised over $1.5 million for individual charities. And while doing all of this, Doug Stout gathers data for climate change scientists. Doug, holy crap, how did you get started in all of this? Uh, good question. I'm just sort of a knucklehead and, uh, you know, just tried to push the limits of human endurance. And, you know, it's been something that I've been passionate about. And, and going to these remote places, I've really tried to search of uh, how to make a difference more, whether we're I'm taking clients to raise money for charities. Um, you know, it gives me a purpose. I'm actually a ex-filmmaker and still work uh, dabble in it a little bit. So I always have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I need to have a purpose in my trips, whether it's, uh, you know, we're, we're I, I wouldn't say so much breaking a record. I don't want to get to the summit or to the, to the pole and have to beat my chest. I want to have a, a more fulfilling reason, whether it's uh, charity or whether it's climate change or science work that we're doing. Um, it gives me a reason to be able to, to go to these extreme places and really push the limits of human endurance. And, and um, I I certainly didn't know that I'd be good at that. I think um, really my first trip to Antarctica was in uh, 1999. I took a, a bunch of pro skiers to the highest peak, and we did the first ski and snowboard descent, which was the Vincent Massif at 16,077 feet. So um, what I didn't realize is I'd fall in love with the continent that very first step that I stepped off the plane and on this ice runway. And um, two months later, I chartered a Russian research vessel, went down to the Antarctic Peninsula, uh, completely different fell in love with the wildlife and the and the um just completely diversified from the interior where there's nothing living and uh just amazing mountains and pioneered ski descents and been doing that for over 15 years of taking people down to the antarctic peninsula and doing ski uh expeditions and um, from there i guided a blind guy and a deaf guy um from the coast of antarctica to the geographic south pole about six months later and you know i think i got hooked and that was really one of my first uh big uh, polar expeditions. And since then, I've led 28 trips to Antarctica and 14 to the North Pole, 16 to the Himalaya. Um, so um, I love pushing uh, pushing those boundaries and and um, I'm good with clients and it's been it's good with organization and and really being an expedition leader. And I love doing it and love taking uh, clients there. It's It's been a, um, a real pleasure and um, I will continue doing this and uh, and and certainly enjoy it. Wow. The past 15 or 20 years just sound amazing in your life. How did you really get started when you were young, when you were a kid, dreaming of these expeditions, or was it uh, some sort of influences you had in your life? I mean, as a young kid, my dad took me... uh 
camping, you know, backpacking. But I think my earliest memory, it probably was about 10 or 11, maybe it was 12. But, uh, you know, we would do, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania and we would go up to uh, Northern Pennsylvania and do these big loops. And all I can remember is he would try to do pack in 60 mile loops in a weekend. And it really wasn't that much fun. I mean, I was completely exhausted, never really had a chance to enjoy nature. Uh, we would be rushing to get to our camp spot and then rushing out of there. And at, in the end, be just totally whipped and uh, never really time to stop and smell the roses and look at the views and do all that. So, um, you know, I think that was one of my earliest memories, but, uh, and it was certainly beautiful. And I loved, I think that was my biggest influence early in my days, my dad taking me camping. But, um, you know, I think later in my life, in my late twenties, I, I was growing, I was living in Los Angeles, working in the film industry. And I really, um, loved getting out, moving outside of, outside of LA and, um, and going to the Palisades and Eastern Sierra and, and Joshua Tree and Talkeets and getting into climbing and, and doing that. And, and that was really what changed my life and really saw what could be done and, and had mentors like Alex Lowe who really showed me what could be done. And then moving, uh, spent a couple springs uh, in Chamonix. And then that really opened my eyes and started taking a couple classes and uh, in 1999, decided to to run a trip to Antarctica and do the uh, first ski and snowboard descent with a group of guys: Doug Coombs, Mark Newcomb, Stephen Koch, um, and we just had an incredible time. And and that's really what uh, started the whole uh, the lesson of me um, becoming an expedition leader and and really polar guide. Wow! So the first trip to either the South Pole or the North Pole, because honestly, they're about the same to me. I just think that they're really cold places. How do you even get there? Well, it's that's the difficult part. I consider it almost like a rose. You know, it's um, Antarctica is a super difficult place to get to weather and distance and, and aircraft. And and I've sort of learned that aspect of it. And, you know, once you want, it's really, really difficult to get in. It's all kinds of uh, problems within getting in with air flights and weather and uh, vast distances uh, and all that thing, whether you're taking a boat from Ushuaia, Argentina, or you're flying in from Punta Arenas or, or from uh, South America, from Cape Town, or even uh, New Zealand. I mean, I've been in, in through all three places and um, it's always difficult. You're always getting delays and that kind of thing. And what happens is you end up, uh, you know, once you get to this uh, inner beauty, um, you know, through the thorns, you see that uh, the beautiful rose and it's uh, it's quite remarkable. And, um, you know, I'll, I, I, that's what drives me and I never take it for granted and hopefully get back. And Antarctica is an island, you know, a huge, huge island surrounded by water. Um, and that's uh, the South Pole sits at 9,300 feet. A lot of people don't realize that, that it's a polar plateau and um, with an effective altitude of almost 11 or 12,000 feet. Um, wow. But the, the Arctic Ocean in the North Pole, uh, it's only got a couple inches or a couple feet of ice and uh, 3,000 feet of, uh, of water below it. And it's um, basically a, a, a sea ice. Uh, and water surrounded by land, which is uh, Canada and um, Alaska, uh, northern Siberia, a few islands called Franz Josef Land and Spitsbergen and uh, even Greenland. So um, there's a few, uh, you know, it's it's basically water and it's constantly moving. Um, there's a lot of humidity on the North Pole. So 
a lot of uh, no humidity on the South Pole. So two completely different environments, both very cold. Um, I find uh, the North Pole a lot more challenging just because of uh, the moving environment. Um, and it's always, you know, as far as your, your, uh, how, your, how you plan an expedition, you can uh, ski 20 miles in a day, could push back five or 10, you know. Uh, with, the, with the South Pole, you know uh, how much food you have, how much fuel you have for stoves, for boiling water and, and ice. And uh, you know how much distance you need to make each day to be able to get there. The North Pole is a completely different scenario. So let's go. Let's go to the South Pole because, like I said earlier, you hold this record of fastest from the coast to the South Pole, four hundred fifty miles in eighteen days. For those of you who did the math, that's twenty five miles a day, and that's basically almost a marathon. Except you're doing it for eighteen days straight in sub zero temperatures. Are you crazy? And how do you do that? <laughs> Well, first of all, I've done uh, three routes from the coast to the pole. The first one uh, was in 2000, 2001, uh, called the Hercules Inlet Route. That's the most common route um, with the logistics operator, and uh, that one's about 767 miles. And then <laughs> I got involved in uh, – and that took uh, 62 days. Um, and then I got uh, – I'm Shackleton is a turn-of-the-century explorer, mm-hmm. uh, one of my heroes. Uh, and he intended to do in 1914 through 1916, he tried to do the Imperial Transantarctic Expedition. And it's a long story. And you should read the book Endurance by Alfred Lansing because it's an amazing story even to this day. And he got uh, shipwrecked and left 22 men and ended up coming back and rescuing everyone. And they lived on penguin and seal. But I wanted to do the route that he intended to do in 1914 through 1916, which was the Filchner Ice Shelf uh, from the Ross or the Roney Ice Shelf to the Pole, which was 738 miles. And so I did that one in 47 days unsupported. Uh, no one's ever done that route before. And that was a learning experience and probably one of the most um, you know, harrowing trips that I've ever done. I fell into four different crevasses up to my chest. I did have a client, um, but we were able to make it safely. And like I said, you rise 9,000 feet. This past uh, December, I was with a 19-year-old adventurer who I've done uh, three North Pole trips with, and he uh, contacted me and wanted to do this speed crossing. And I did the research to find out the shortest distance from the coast to the pole, which is uh, near the Ross Sea. Um, near McMurdo Sound, and we uh, drove a six by six Toyota Hilux Arctic truck all the way there. Um, we flew it in, and we drove it uh, almost a thousand miles uh, to the pole, and then down to our starting point, and then we went unsupported from that point on uh, to the pole. And you know, we uh, pushed it. We had to rise nine thousand feet from the coast to the pole, and it was certainly um, you know bad weather and whiteout conditions and all the all the things that you normally would have in in our Antarctica. And but we were able to make it in eighteen days, and the previous record was twenty four. So um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty pretty cool. And, and um, I'm happy for Parker. And we did do some science work along the way, which really had it make sense for me. Um, and we were doing core samples. And, and you know, that's really what I'm proud of, is really uh, what how we can all help out mankind within these expeditions and going to these remote places. And uh, certainly, um, I'll continue to do that because it makes me tick. Yeah, the work that you're doing uh, with science, with kind of snow science, climate change, just incredible. We'll get into that a little later. Could you just go into a little more detail on what unsupported expeditions are like and some of the gear you need, why it's so impressive 
Oh, well, I, I've always been into a self-supported mechanism. And this this last one, uh, the speed crossing was a little different because we did have this Arctic truck following us and filming us and doing live feeds every day, which was uh, that's technology. And I totally understand why the sponsors really uh, want that. But usually we would get dropped off in a plane and you're on your own and you don't see anything other than, you know, what's in front of you. And um, this was a little different because you sort of have a truck not too far from you that's camped about 100 meters away and and you know that that's there um we didn't take anything from them we didn't um receive anything from them but um you know unsupported is really how i like to do things i like to do things um on our own we and that's all the planning and preparation that goes into it and also um the gear that we use i mean uh the Arctic and Antarctic exploration is is really uh, not something that you can go to REI or Paragon or uh, your local outdoor store and pick up a lot of the gear. A lot of the gear companies I work with um, uh, work with the designers to be able to develop new gear that's better and lighter and faster. And, and that's really fun. I love doing that. I work with a company called Mountain Hardware and uh, they make outdoor gear and a lot of uh, – uh, some of the gear that I do help design is really fun to do because uh, um, you, what I'm doing is an uh, aerobic activity. You know, you're basically pulling a sled for 12, 14 hours a day. How much does that sled weigh? Uh, close to 230 pounds. You know? <laughs> so it's like one, pulling... that's like one and a half Russells, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's de- definitely training. I mean, I live here at Squaw Valley, USA, and um, even, uh, when the, when the days are short in the fall, I'm got a headlamp on and I'm pulling tires to the top of squaw, you know, at 11 o'clock at night. I mean, and it goes back to the planning and preparation that leads to success. If you, uh, I organize all the food with a company called backpacker pantry. Um, you ha- have all your, uh, caloric, you need, you're burning 10,000 calories a day. Wow. So, uh, you need to, uh, eat at least 5,000 to 6,000 calories uh, a day to just to stay alive. So your muscles don't get eaten and the fat content i have no body fat at you know halfway through this trip so uh it's crazy uh the amount it's like but it would be like you getting on a nordic track or or a a elliptical or treadmill and going for 14 hours um except i'm in minus 40 um and dealing with that and you have to eat and drink every hour and a half if you miss one of those eating and drinking periods uh it's a downward spiral so it's staying focused um and you know you actually tap into a place in your brain where you normally wouldn't um you do have introspective thought along the way but you're really focused on staying alive and staying safe and and for me not only myself i have to worry about the clients too so um, I didn't know I'd be good at it, but it's uh, it's been an adventure, and certainly um, love doing it. And I get I have, I'm booked for the next couple of years for both North and South Pole. So you mentioned the tire. We we saw a video of you dragging the tire. How did that come about? That idea to just drag a tire to simulate it, and then what are some other training activities you need to do to be able to make yourself feel so miserable getting all the way to <laughs> Antarctica? Well, I'm a professional sufferer, and I think the best way to to train for an expedition of this stature is sports specific. Um, I do have a little bit of a training background. When I lived in LA, I trained uh, some actors, and so um, sports specific means to simulate the same activity that you're going to be doing for uh, 18 days or two months or however long you feel that you, it might take you. So, um, doing that, I probably pull a tire four or five days 
a week um, for several hours and, and one day a week I'd probably go for five or six hours just to simulate that activity um, as I prepare and get closer to those expedition uh, disembarkation dates. I'd really want to be ready and be fit and uh, I do a lot of core work, a lot of yoga, um, you know, a cross training's great, CrossFit's great. Um, a little bit of weights. I, I do most of my stuff outside, uh, trail runs and that kind of thing to stay fit. So, um, you know, I'm a professional athlete and, and I train every day. I ski every day. I do 200 days of skiing a year, um, ski guiding, um, that kind of thing. So I'm outside. This is, uh, this is, I'm, I should be outside right now. Instead, I'm doing an interview <laughs> with you guys, but, uh, <laughs> Um, it's all good. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my life. And, it, and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy the training aspect and preparing and, and getting people ready for these adventures. So yeah, let's talk about getting people ready for these adventures. You run a company called Ice Axe Expeditions. What kind of people do you go with? And where do you go? Well, first of all, Ice Axe has been in business since 1999 with that first Vincent mm-hmm. trip that we, I just talked about. And we've led uh, numerous trips, 28 trips to Antarctica, 14 uh, to the North Pole, seven or eight to Spitsbergen, which is above the Arctic Circle. We also do Amazon uh, trips, uh, stand-up mm-hmm. paddle and fishing trips down the Amazon in Brazil. Uh, we also do uh, uh, Morocco ski trips, uh, Greenland ski trips, and Spitsbergen ski sail trips, as well as ski trips to Antarctica uh, uh, peninsula as well. So uh, we've diversified and we always have new programs that we're doing. Um, and I'm usually involved in all of them. And it's, um, it's been just a great uh, journey to be able to build these niche uh, uh, travel destinations and, and take clients. And I'm the only one in the world doing this type of thing. That's why it's sort of unique. There's no other people taking skiers to Antarctica or um, you know, or, or stand up paddle trips down the Amazon. So, um, I find these unique adventures and try to, um, capitalize on them. I think the, the touring, uh, touring through skiing is, is growing. And I think that segment of the industry is growing fast. And, and I do see that. And I think it was proper timing and being at the right place at the right time. And I've always been a, a backcountry skier. I've always, um, enjoyed that facet of, uh, of the sport and, and the uphill is almost enjoyable as the downhill for me and uh, pe- more people were trying to get out of the resorts and doing more fresh tracks and and it's um, I love uh, interacting with nature and and uh, I love the mountains and and you know they I'm very humbled by it I try to 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 really do as much research and be on top of the game as possible with uh, snow safety and and all the other aspects that we do when we're outside in the mountains because I respect it. Yeah. So these people on your trips, I mean, let's take Russell and I for example. Let's say we wanted to go on one of these excursions and. I guess to describe my athletic prowess, I'm a 13 handicap golfer, <laughs> normally fine to walk 18 holes. So do you have people that really aren't climbers and uh, mountaineers? Well, I, some of my trips, my North and South Pole are a lot more adventure. I call them more um, uh, harder tourism. You know, mm-hmm. So you need to be prepared almost a year in advance. People contact me. I put them on a training regime. These guys are type A, type um, you know, that type of, uh, CEOs, upper level management, that type of person that's, uh, um, that's wanting to, to do a polar trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts out, they usually want to just, okay, I want to go to the country club and talk about what I did in spring. And I went to the North pole. I try to, to convince them to raise money for charity or I don't take them. Uh-huh. And they say, well, I don't have time for that. And I said, well, yes, you do. Co- you know, contact a hundred, 150 of your best friends and say, I'm skiing to the pole for uh, a charity that's important to you. You know, I'm sure there's something, whether it's uh, inner city kids, uh, food programs, school instrument programs, 
live strong, I don't care, or even raise money for my charity, which is a, uh, a student's nonprofit. And I do education to students around the U.S. and Canada and talk about this amazing planet in which we live. But these, uh, I convince them to raise money and they end up being a hero in their community and they want to do more with me. And it's, um, I feel like the Pied Piper and that's, that's always interesting. But as for yourself, who's, um, uh, I consider it more softer tourism, I think our boat trips t- to Antarctica, we actually have 30 to 40% of our clients that have never backcountry skied. They're great skiers or they've been out skiing before and they want to ski Antarctica is the, is the initial conversation. They go, oh, I want to ski the seven continents. And my goal is really to have them become ambassadors for the place. I've fallen in love with this place and it's truly amazing to be able to take people there and experience it. But um, you know, it's it's not about the skiing for me. It's about the wildlife, about the adventure, about how difficult, like I said, with the rose, how difficult it is to to get there and and understand the this. There's not too many people that have that opportunity to build to really just take a half hour, or 45 minutes during your expedition and just sit there and just take it all in. Skiing down to penguins and seals and whales is something truly special. And that's where my company comes in. I really specialize in skiing to wildlife, something so unique and so different from any other trip out there. So, um, yes, you could come on some of our ski trips. Um, we would have to do a bunch of training if you were going to do one of my polar trips. Mm-hmm. The stand-up paddle trips, they, you can sit in a dugout canoe and not even do any adventure at all, or you can paddle uh, 10 hours a day and be able to stay on a really nice boat, a well-appointed boat with air conditioning and a, a bathroom in each room and just amazing food all the time. Sounds like a plan. I'm going for that Brazilian Amazon one, I think. <laughs> Right on. You yeah, mean I'm, the whole the whole length of the Amazon? No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'll be in the boat as yeah, you guys yeah, do that. I'll probably have to do about 100 miles a day, 70 to 100 miles a day. So You can pull us. <laughs> right on. Yeah, the company's just incredible, and they offer amazing trips. And it's just so unusual of a job. It's just hard for people in the corporate world to really even see how you make money off this, first off. And then second, you get to go out and do what you love every day. So what percentage of these trips do you actually have clients on? Or are they split 50-50 between your expeditions or are they all intertwined? Uh, I think it used to be that way. Or pretty much right now, I um, I do pretty much six to, to eight trips a year where it's all clients. Um, I do have dreams and goals. I want to do a stand-up paddle trip on the whole length of the Amazon River from uh, Mount Minnesu in Peru at the start of the Amazon River where it trickles out of the mountain uh, and bicycle 350K to Puerto Maldonado and then stand-up paddle 2,500 miles all the way to the Atlantic. So um, I do have dreams and goals. I'd love to do a um, a zero carbon footprint all the way across Antarctica using kites. Um, I'm putting together another expedition um, this year, another speed crossing with two Brits, and hopefully we can beat my record of 18 days from the same point. Uh, there's also a zero um, motorcycle, which is a electric motorcycle, and I'd like to take that from the coast to the pole as well. So um, I'm still a dreamer. You know, I'm a dreamer, and um, I think if you put a lot of productive growth to those dreams, you can make things happen. Um, but most of my trips are client-driven, and, and that's why I do it. I mean, it's really to to showcase um, what ISAX is and what we can do and where you can take people. And and uh, it's a pretty cool job to make uh, dreams come true. And um, every day at the end of the day, I mean, almost all my clients say that was the best day of my life, and that's that's super special. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So you started running these trips. You have this unbelievable business you started. Were you always thinking about the climate as you were doing these trips, or was it something that just kind of fit? 
I think that was an evolution um, of what I saw happening. Same thing with the kids program. I'm going to these remote places and, and I want to take that opportunity to, to share it with, uh, with students so they can learn. And uh, we have a technology driven uh, lifestyle now and kids, uh, you know, they don't want to open up a book and learn about a Gen 2 penguin. But if they can see one pecking at my boot and be able to ask questions, how big is that penguin that's pecking at your boot? Um, they become more engaged in learning. Uh, as far as the climate change, I'm seeing huge differences. Uh, not so much in the Antarctic. I think uh, Antarctica, the, the ice sheet's actually growing about a foot a year. But I do, I have seen differences in some of the wildlife due to the warmer water trends that's happening, especially on the Antarctic Peninsula. Uh, krill populations, which is the the little tiny shrimp, which the entire ecosystem and the whole peninsula and around Antarctica is reliant on, uh, is changing and moving because of the warmer waters. There's about seven or eight glaciers on the Antarctic Peninsula that are calving at an alarming rate. I don't know if that's cyclical or um, or if it's actually climate change driven, but I do see differences in the North Pole. Um, huge amount of pack ice that's being pushed down to the uh, uh, the Baffin Straits, and and I'm seeing. Um, uh, thinner, less multi-year ice. And when I say multi-year ice, I'm saying eight to 14 years, which can be up to, you know, 15 to 20 feet thick. Um, so it's becoming actually on my last degree trips, which is 60 nautical miles to the pole, it's becoming easier because the ice is thinner. Um, not, and it, there's pans getting to the pole. Um, when I first started 10 years ago, there was huge amounts of pressure ridges, which made it very difficult for me to get. And a lot of that ice is being pushed down. Um, you can't even, I did a trip from Siberia to the North pole in 2005, and you can't even do that trip right now, um, anymore because, uh, there's water, uh, off the coast of Siberia. Um, and you know, that's alarming to me, you know, and that, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy, uh, how the Arctic ocean and, and what's really happening up there. And it's a very complex, uh, scenario. And I don't even want to go in to explain it to you because it's super complex. And, um, with that thinner ice, it, it's melting quicker in the summer and that warm water's, uh, absorbing a lot of the sun's, uh, radiation and even warm, warming up faster. So, um, anyway, it's, uh, it's something that I'm passionate about and I want to try to educate as many people as possible. And, uh, that's why I joined an organization with the climate reality project, which is, uh, Al Gore and I am pro snow. And, uh, what that is, is a, it's a grass, grassroots initiative and brings together skiers and riders and, and really the, the ski industry, um, it's most affected by these warming winters and shorter seasons are, are, uh, are, there's less snow and there's, our springs are coming earlier. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that, this is our livelihood, you know, we're out there, um, we're trying to, uh, stop climate change in its tracks and, and we want to look forward to more, uh, more skiing. And that's what I do. I ski 200 days a year and I want to make sure that I'm able to do that. So, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, we love the snow and we love, uh, uh, being out there on the ski resorts and and uh you know this it's so much uh at stake and and hopefully we can all do something about it and um uh yeah that's that's why i'm part of uh i am pro snow campaign wow it's great to hear how involved you are within uh the industry and the environment and just to let the listeners know we'll be posting all of these links and anything that you've been talking about today we'll put that on our website so when people search you they can then find other ways to find out more Another question that I had, and this kind of comes from one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's called The Hurt Locker. Just to give you a little background, it's about a squad which disarms bombs in Iraq. There's a scene in the movie, and when the main character returns home to the U.S., 
at the end of the movie, he's going grocery shopping, and he looks down this really long aisle and sees all these different kinds of cereals, and it's so overwhelming. How are you supposed to go from disarming a bomb, something so intense, to going down and picking a cereal out of a long aisle? So I guess my question is, when you return from these incredible adventures, do you ever get this kind of culture shock, and you go from the silence to this busy United States uh, absolutely. It's a very difficult thing. I, first of all, all my trips, um, you know, it's usually about the camaraderie and the friendships that you make along the way. It's not, like I said, not about getting to the pole and beating your chest or getting to the summit. It's really about the adventure. Um, but I, I have to say that every expedition that I've been on, I've been changed. And uh, through through that com- camaraderie and friendships and everything that you went through. And it is very, very difficult to enter back into reality. It's, it's, it's um, super hard. In fact, uh, this last one, it took me almost a month and a half to be able to just get back to um, normal. It was, uh, it was crazy um, how, how uh, you know, you're basically in a survival mode and every day that you're, you're moving forward and, and all you think about is eating and drinking and, and staying alive and, and making your distance. And, um, you know, you don't think about bills. You don't think about, um, you know, what am I going to have for dinner and stoplights? And, and I don't sit there and come home and put up my feet in my sleeping bag and read a book. It's more about you need that entire focus 24-7. And not only physically is it exhausting for, for 18 days, um, but mentally exhausting too. I think it's a full package. And, and I think um, you're, you're so mentally exhausted and physically exhausted that it takes some time, uh, not only with the digestion of normal food uh, is the simplest thing, but just to re-enter society like you talked about is walking down the grocery store and getting in a car and driving and and uh, those simple things that we all take for granted becomes uh, uh, very difficult tasks when we come back to a, a normal society. And, uh, you know, I live in Tahoe. We only have a couple uh, stoplights. But when I go to the city, it's like, wow, this is a huge difference. In, uh, and um, I certainly like uh, the nature part. Yeah. Adversity is the ultimate team builder, huh? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, we, we're just about out of time, Doug, and thank you so much for spending the time with us. You have done some amazing adventures, and hopefully people out there are inspired to do the same. Uh, again, just to reiterate, everything that we've talked about today uh, will be put on your page on our website. Uh, cool. And Thank you so much for joining us. Well, right on. You can uh, find us more at iceaxe.tv. Um, or iceaxe.org and uh, you know we're on Facebook iceaxe expeditions go ahead and like us uh, or Doug Stout uh, on Facebook and our Twitter account is at iceaxe TV yeah check us out and uh, if you're ever interested in, in joining an expedition just give us a call and we'll have to explain a little bit more about what we do and uh, hopefully you guys can join us on some adventure somewhere around the planet as well thanks Doug so listeners if you're still on you probably really enjoyed Doug Stout And he is an awesome guy. Very impressive. Yeah, and if you like what we're doing, uh, there's a very easy and specific way that you can help. It's true. We really want to be transparent with our business decisions, so we're going to tell you exactly how and why you should help us. A huge source of growth for podcasts is this iTunes new and noteworthy section. Only podcasts within their first eight weeks of launch can make this section, and it really exposes and gets the word out about our podcast. 
Yeah, Ben and I have heard it can help grow your podcast 300% in those first eight weeks, and that's just huge. But we really need your help. There's two main drivers that can help us. Five-star reviews through iTunes, and then also just subscribing and downloading, listening every day. It's no cost to you. We need you to do two things. Subscribe to our podcast, so go to iTunes and subscribe. And also leave us a review, and if you'd be so kind, that would be a five-star review. Thanks for listening.